Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Father, your son endured the agony of the cross so that by his death and resurrection we might become heirs of eternal life. Fill us with the joy and peace of believing as you guide us on the way that leads to the heavenly country where you live and reign with your son and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 73, written by Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped out from under me. I almost lost my footing. I even envied the arrogant when I observed the peace of the wicked. For there are no struggles at their death. Their bodies are sturdy. They do not have the troubles common to people. They are not plagued along with the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They wear violence like clothing. Their eyes bulge out of their fat. The sheens of their hearts step over boundaries. They mock. They speak maliciously. From a high perch, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongues strut around on earth. Therefore, God's people turn to them and they drink it all in. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? See, this is what the wicked are like. Secure forever, they increase in strength. Have I really kept my heart pure for nothing? Have I kept my hands clean in vain? I've been plagued all day long. My punishment comes every morning. If I had said, I will speak like this, I would certainly have betrayed the circle of your children. When I tried to understand this, it was very troubling to me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you place them on slippery places. You cause them to fall into destruction. How quickly they come to ruin, completely destroyed by terrors. They are like a dream when someone wakes up. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them like an illusion. Yes, my heart was bitter and I was torn up inside. I was unthinking and ignorant. I was a dumb animal before you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. With your guidance, you lead me. And afterwards, you will take me to glory. Who else is there for me in heaven? And besides you, I desire no one else on earth. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. No doubt about it. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who commit adultery against you. As for me, God's nearness is good for me. I have made the Lord God my refuge so that I can tell about all your works. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, after that horrible school shooting in Florida, a lot of people were concerned, they were dumbstruck, they didn't know what to say, but they wanted to show they cared. And many, even those who weren't Christians, said, my prayers are with you. I will pray for you. Now, Christians truly meant that. And they truly meant they wanted God's blessings to come and heal. But one of those popular television scientists who has one of the more popular science programs, he's pretty upset by this. And he made the statement, For a thousand years Christians have been praying to God, and not once has he ever stopped a school shooting. Because he's popular in Hollywood, that message got passed all around. It resounded louder than I can yell. Why, God? A man who claims to believe in the scientific method and uses it doesn't even recognize the folly of his own statement. First of all, guns have not been around for a thousand years. 
Second of all, school shootings, since the gun has been invented, weren't heard of because people had to use muzzle loaders. There was a big one in the 60s, but it really exploded after Columbine. So his statement, his own science, disproves because it's really only been since Columbine, since what, 1999, that there's been this problem. But still it got reported and everybody says, yeah, where in the world is your God? And you know what bothers me even more than that, that this message is going throughout the world and mocking now is coming towards our God and those who trust in him and meaning well truly are praying for those families and their healing is the fact that you get those charlatan preachers who have huge churches and they rake in money. They take advantage of their sheep and they, and they get rich off doing it. And it seems like they get away. Seems like our world is really plagued by sin, doesn't it? There's a problem, and it's eating at our psalmist. But he begins, he begins right away by saying, Surely God is good to Israel, to the pure in heart. Now what does he mean by Israel? Does he mean the nation of Israel politically as it exists today? Uh-uh. He appends something to it that talks about what he's talking about of Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Only those are pure in heart who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They will only get washed in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit entering your heart and giving you faith that that blood of the Lamb removes your sin. The pure in heart are those who, in the time Asaph wrote, who look forward to the coming Savior, and in our time, who now rejoice that the Savior has come and look forward to His return. Surely God is good to us. But it doesn't seem that way, does it? It seems like there are plenty who take advantage of us. It seems there are plenty who hate us. And as Martin Luther himself said, at first it seems like God is our enemy. And so Asaph says, But as for me, my feet almost slipped out from underneath me. I almost lost my footing. I know God is good to those who believe in Him. And the Hebrew language here, the picture is that of a, of a person who stepped out on ice and starts doing the two-foot shuffle. Their feet wanting to do the splits. Why? Why was he slipping? He says, I even envied the arrogant when I observed the peace of the wicked. And there it is. People who make statements like Christians have been praying for a thousand years and God has not stopped one school shooting. Or those who would turn around and take advantage of the flock and get rich doing it. And they get arrogant. They say, look at my numbers. My numbers prove that God is, is approving of what I do. Oh, they are arrogant. And, and interesting, the Hebrew word used for peace, the peace of the wicked, is also the prosperity that comes during peace. And that's Asaph's problem. They live at peace. They seem to be prospering. God lets them get away with it. Or so it appears. So he asks, is God good to those who love him? And he begins by saying, yes, most certainly he is. But he presents the problem. It doesn't look like it. And he goes on to really, to really nail down the problem about those wicked. He says, for there are no struggles at their death. The Hebrew language here is there's no restraints to death. And that can mean a couple of things. It can mean that they don't care about death. It doesn't haunt them. It doesn't bother them. They go out and they live their life. And, I, and plenty, they live very sexually promiscuous and everything else. They don't care. They don't care about the diseases and the problems they're, they're getting. But you know, lots of times they also seem to have a peaceful death. Oh, I've known unbelievers die with a tormented conscience. There's also those who don't. They're quite confident God doesn't care. 
Their bodies are sturdy. The Hebrew literally says their bodies are fat. In a time when most people were, well, when all they actually ate because there wasn't refrigeration was bread every day. You know, a steak was a rare thing. Somebody being fat meant somebody who was healthy. They, they, they were okay. They didn't have medical problems. They weren't worrying about starving to death. Some of those scientists that they take a look in the evolutionary chain and say, this person is proof this, uh, of evolution. And, and they miss the fact that it, lots of times studying their bones, they find out that they had diseases that came because they didn't have enough food. Diseases like rickets that come from not having enough calcium and it caused them to be bent over. And that wasn't because man was evolving to walk upright at all. But these people, their bodies are healthy. And you know, it's interesting. Oftentimes you hear some of the diseases that you and I are afraid of getting because they're terrible. They get them and they throw money at it. Money like it's God and can resolve their problems. And it seems to. They get healed. They're not plagued along with the rest of mankind. They don't have the trouble common to people. How often do you think if I just had enough money I could resolve this problem? Well, they have it. And they have it mostly because they've been wicked. He says, therefore, pride is their necklace. They brag about their ways. They brag about how they get away with things. They wear it like jewelry and parade it around. He says they wear violence like clothing. They don't care who they have to take advantage of. Often in our school systems, especially in our colleges today, students are being taught that things like the Inquisition, which, which you know, that wasn't the Lutheran church, but it happened in Christian history. Christians persecuted Christians, and they did so wrongly. Oh, but they don't tell you about the violence of the wicked. They don't tell you about the communists. There's a movie they're trying to get played in Casper. You should find a little slip in your mailbox if you want to pre-order tickets so they can get it like our Luther movie about a man who stood up to communist Russia when communist Russia adopted atheism as their official religion and they tortured the man for 14 years. Atheists, all the wicked, don't tell you about that, about how happy they are to kill and torture to get their way. And we're not just talking about persecuting Christianity. They'll take advantage of somebody. They'll steal their house from right underneath them. And they seem to get away with it. It says their eyes bulge out of their fat. The sheams of their hearts step over boundaries. He's saying what their hearts desire is wrong, but they get what their hearts desire. They get it. And they don't care if they have to hurt people to get it. They mock. They speak maliciously. From a high perch, they threaten oppression. They get become people like Hitler and Joseph Stalin and those who in communist China. They get their high positions and then they say, anybody who stands against me and my wickedness, I will bulldoze over them. And again, doesn't it seem like they get away with it? He says, they set their mouths against the heavens. They speak against God as if they can control God. And that's why Joseph Stalin wanted communism to be clearly about atheism. He didn't want to be held accountable for his actions. They hide them. He did terrible things. Their tongues strut around on earth. They even brag about it on earth. Therefore, God's people turn to them and they drink it all in. That is the sad thing. So people who trust in God for their salvation turn and they say, this person has it. I'm suffering miserably. I will run to be part of this person's flock. And the Hebrew picture is like that of when camels come to a small pond, a wadi at an oasis, and they just drink up all the water. They take whatever they can get and they devour it. 
And isn't it easy for us to be tempted, for example, with those charlatans that have the big churches that are preaching in spite of Christ saying, take up your cross, that if you love God, there will be no crosses, just send me your money. How the Christians will run into that and they'll take advantage of it. And we can be tempted to adopt their techniques because it gets people through the door. We can be tempted to drink it all in. And that's the sad thing. When those who believe in the Lord lose sight of the Lord and they run and they drink up what those people have to offer. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? The idea that God created the universe and then took a snooze and has nothing to do with our lives. Ignoring the fact that He actually became a man and lived on this earth, that His Holy Spirit lives in your heart. God can't know. And the greatest arrogance of this again comes from atheists. There isn't even a God. Give me a break. See, this is what the wicked are like. Secure forever, they increase in strength. And this is what's bothering Asaph. Look at how they are, and they're secure in this life. And they not only that, but they grow. They get more wealth. They get more security. They get more prosperity. There's the problem. He says, God is good to Israel, but it looks like He's good to the wicked. It looks like He lets them get away with it. And one of the best examples of that is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus... He's a poor man. He trusts in God. Even the dogs lick his wounds. The rich man lives a pretty cush life. There's a turning point in our psalm, and that comes at verse 13. He says, Have I really kept my heart pure for nothing? Have I kept my hands clean in vain? I have been plagued all day long. My punishment comes every morning. I've worked not only to keep my soul clean, and how do you do that? You stay in the Word. And how did he keep his hands clean? He struggled with his sinful nature. He walked in integrity. He let the commandments be his guide. And what thanks does he get? He feels like God is punishing him more. Again, Luther's quote. At first it seems like God is our enemy. He said, if I had said I will speak this, I would certainly have betrayed the circle of your children. If I had spoke out and said, look at how it looks. It looks like the wicked get away with it and I'm being punished for being a believer. I would have led a bunch of God's children astray. He wrote several of the Psalms. He says, when I tried to understand this, it was very troubling to me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood therein. What is the sanctuary of God? Of course, an Old Testament believer would think of the temple, would think where the forgiveness of sins was pronounced and the word was pronounced and and all those sacrifices pointing to the coming blood of the Lamb. But you are in the sanctuary of God. You are Israel. The Holy Spirit's in your heart. When you come to be near God, which He does through the word, then you're told the outcome. You're told something different. You're told this is a game that you play for the long run. And then the solution comes. As I already pointed out, Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man lived for this life. And then in hell, in torment, he cries just for one drop of water. And Abraham says, you had your good things in this life. Lazarus did not. Ah, brothers and sisters in Christ, it turns out being that while it looks like God is letting the wicked prosper, He's a gracious God and He's giving them comfort now because they're going to spend an eternity in hell. He says, surely you place them on slippery places. They're the ones now doing the two-step on the ice, and it's a downhill slant. When I slide on the top of my driveway, which is quite a slant, I don't stop sliding till I hit the street. And guess where they stop sliding at? Hell. 
This is a long-term run. And yes, God is getting, allows them to have a cush life, but that cush life is the very ice that's sliding them right down into the flames of hell. He says, you cause them to fall into destruction. There it is. Don't envy them. In the long run, they're going to spend an eternity wishing they hadn't done what they did. How quickly they come to ruin, how completely destroyed by terrors. And isn't it true? People like Hitler, well, he committed suicide before the forces got to him. And those television evangelists or the big TV church guys, I'm not saying all of them, but the ones who are charlatans, isn't it amazing how all of a sudden the media explodes when they get caught in a sexual scandal or something like that and it all comes toppling down? Yes, those who reject God ultimately will get hell. But don't kid yourself. Even in this life, God will say, enough. And now it's time for your little world you think you've built to crumble around you. So he says, they are like a dream when someone wakes up. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them like an illusion. Have you ever had a bad dream? You wake up, you go, whoo, oh, it was just a dream, it's over. And you go on with your day. Their life, that's what it is. Oh, they're, they're wicked and they're prospering, but then all of a sudden, poof, it's over. And eternity in hell really shows that was just but a quick dream that's gone. Ah, but the solution is their prosperity is temporary. Yours, that's something different. He says, yes, my heart was bitter and I was torn up inside. I was unthinking and ignorant. I was a dumb animal before you. You know, an animal that thinks about food and rest. That's about it, right? That's, he was just thinking about food and rest. He wasn't thinking about his sins. He wasn't thinking about the eternal salvation. He wasn't thinking about God's rule in his life every day. He says... Yet I am always with you. Those people who've built up by oppressing people, who've built up prosperity and riches, they're temporary. They're gone in a minute. But God, God is always with you. Even in the times when you feel the most alone and abandoned, God is with you. You hold me by my right hand. The right hand is the hand most people use to swing hammers and to do all their work. It's their dominant hand. Some people are left-handed. But, but where's the right hand? What's their position of dominance? God, like a parent guiding their little child, has them by the hand. And he leads them, as Psalm 23 says, through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, it seems like that wicked person is getting away with it. But they don't have God leading them through this life. Sometimes those hard crosses we bear is God teaching us to close our eyes and let him guide us. Because he knows what we do not. So he says, with your guidance you lead me and afterwards you will take me to glory. And there it is. You're my God in this life. The harsh things in this life you're using for my good. And the long-term gain is, I'm getting heaven forever. I'm getting a new and glorified body that isn't going to hurt and ache. I'm getting rid of my sinful nature, is what he's saying here. And the wicked, all oh, they're getting is hell. Quite a difference in all eternity. And eternity is eternal. He says, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. So the solution is, God's blessings are eternal. Don't get caught up on this world. Then he recaps. He says, no doubt about it, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who commit adultery against you. Interesting. God created everybody to believe in him and he gives us all our daily bread. But when we reject him, he views it as committing adultery. Find a spouse who has had adultery committed against them and find out how wonderful it is for them. That's how God views it. 
when we chase after other gods, when we let money be our god, when we're willing to destroy human beings for our luxury, we're making ourselves gods. And God says, you're committing adultery on me. And don't kid yourself, I'm not going to let you get away with it. But he says, as for me... Now, he's been talking about God in the life of the believer and the wicked, but suddenly he says, as for me. In other words, he says, I'm concerned about myself. And this is a time to be selfish. When you're worried because your unbelieving neighbor seems to be getting away with everything, stop and say, I'm going to worry about myself first. And he says, God's nearness is good for me. I know that God is with me. I know that God allows crosses. God disciplines me for my good. All of it is so that he can land me safely in heaven for all eternity. And so God's nearness is good for me. And if you want to know that God is near, open his word. He talks to you in his word. That he assures you. So he says, I have made the Lord my God my refuge. Not money, not the shelter over my head, the clothes on my back, taking advantage of people, not government. All those things that can be manipulated and destroyed and taken away. God. God will give you those things as he sees you need right up until the time that he gives you the eternal life that he purchased and won for you. So the psalmist ends the whole entire psalm by saying, so that I can tell about all your works. All of God's work that he's done to save you, becoming a man, putting, living and dying in our place, putting his Holy Spirit in our heart, ruling over all creation for you, giving you the new heavens and the new earth that he's assured you are yours because he keeps you in his word. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, the atheists and even people who claim to be Christians can get away with wickedness, or at least it seems to be. But we know in the long run, they're going to hell. In the short run, God will take those things away from them as he sees fit. But for you and I, the world can throw its worst and rage against us. And it may look like God's our enemy, as it would have looked to Job. But like Job, we can say, I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, I will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. You can be confident God is using those harsh things in your life to keep you square in him and in your salvation that he won for you. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.